heart and soul of a nation, beckons the call. The voice of our forefathers heard in the distance. A house divided against itself cannot stand. To reclaim our honor. honor. Our soul. The challenges of a generation call out. Future generations hang in the balance. We choose liberty. This is the voice of a nation. The nation. The nation. The nation. And now, Malcolm. Have you noticed that the closer we get to November 8th and the midterm elections, the more desperate the Democrats seem to get? The raid on Mar-a-Lago was only the beginning. Last week, I called it a watershed event, but it was much, much more than that. Welcome to the Voice of a Nation. I'm your guest host today, Alana Friedman, sitting in for my friend Malcolm Outloud. And today we're going to start off the show by talking about what was behind the early morning raid on August 8th at Mar-a-Lago, the private estate of former President Donald Trump. Trump wasn't there, but he watched it all on closed-circuit TV through the security cameras that are installed throughout the estate. He described it like this. My beautiful home, Mar-a-Lago in Palm Beach, Florida, is currently under siege, raided, and occupied by a large group of FBI agents, unquote. Was it a politically driven operation? Of course it was. Built on the same underhanded trickery that the Democrats have used since before Donald Trump became president. They used it when they spied on his campaign before he was ever president. They used it in the Russia-Russia hoax and the Mueller investigation and the two phony impeachments and the kangaroo court that they called the January 6th hearings. We know it was politically driven because the FBI visited the place in June and the special agents, special indeed, were invited to take whatever they needed and if they needed anything more, all they had to do was ask. But they raided the place anyway fully armed and ready for war in the dark of night, before dawn, before there was any light in the sky, they were at his front door with flashing lights, with guns drawn, and carrying a warrant whose first sentence said this, quote, The government is conducting a criminal investigation concerning the improper removal and storage of classified information in unauthorized spaces, as well as the unlawful concealment and removal of government records, unquote. Now remember, they had been there in June. They had had the opportunity to look at all these documents, and they left, and they didn't come back until two months later in a pre-dawn raid. So suddenly, this was a criminal investigation. So they ordered everybody outside and they commandeered the entire 126-room, 62,000-square-foot home for nearly 10 hours. They forced everyone outside in the hot Florida sun and they went into areas they were not supposed to, like Melania's closet and her underwear drawers. And from all accounts, they left a terrible mess behind them. They also left with 15 boxes of papers, which they claimed were top secret or otherwise classified, even though 
The president said, and his former staff confirms, that they were all declassified before they left the White House. And the FBI specified that there were over a hundred documents and more than 700 pages with classification markings on them. And if we ever doubted that this was political before now, it now turns out that way back in April, the White House counsel formally requested permission in writing to be allowed to go through all of the papers in Donald Trump's private home. Did you get that? The White House counsel, that's Biden's team, they wanted to go through the papers in Trump's private home. Well, I'm sure you all know by now, because it's been talked to death on television and in the press, that the president is the executive branch of our federal government. The courts have upheld this. And he has the absolute power to declassify any document that he wants to before he leaves office and to take them with him. And Donald Trump and his representatives have stated, not once but many times, that he declassified everything that he took out of the White House. That should have been the end of the story. Really? Not even close. This is just the latest chapter of the Let's Get Trump Show, orchestrated by the Democrats, a down-and-dirty witch hunt that began with spying on the Trump campaign way back in 2019 at the beginning of his campaign, and it has continued unabated until now. Seven years later, and a year and a half after he left the White House. The Democrats went wild. Laws were broken, long-held traditions were smashed, lies were told, and political corruption ruled Washington. For the last six-plus years, Donald Trump has been the target of the left without pause and without mercy. He has been harassed and attacked without relief. Only now, the attacks are getting increasingly serious, increasingly personal, and that's because we're coming up to the midterms and the Democrats are beginning to face the possibility that they may lose their control of the federal government. Because if they lose Congress, if they lose the House and the Senate, they will lose the power that they have The problem is that the power resides not only in the House and the Senate, and the White House, of course, but it also resides in the agencies that have been so thoroughly corrupted by the Democrats, the FBI, and the Department of Justice, the State Department, and so much more. But now the Republicans are threatening to take back Congress and to start to clean house to begin undoing the mess that the Biden administration has done to the country, to unwind all of their so-called progress that has brought the country to the edge of financial ruin and made us the laughingstock of the world. And there's another reason for these increasingly personal attacks on Trump by the Democrats, and that is because he is now talking about the possibility of running for a second term as president. And that, frankly, scares the hell out of them. Everything that they are doing now against Trump is aimed at keeping him from running in 2024. 
The raid on Mar-a-Lago broke a 230-year-old precedent that began with George Washington when he chose not to seek a third term for president. He wanted to make sure that the president would retire with dignity and turn over the reins of power peacefully and with respect for the new president. Ironically, Washington was concerned with the development of polarizing parties that would lead to a government that would work not for the good of the people, but in order to continue holding on to personal power. Does that sound familiar? Washington understood the pressures of political power and what they can do to corrupt even the most idealistic officeholder. In his farewell address, Washington warned Americans to beware of would-be tyrants who would rally all of their political power and use it, quote, to subvert the power of the people and to usurp for themselves the reins of government, unquote. Well, you warned us, Mr. President, and isn't that exactly what's happening in America today? One of the most disturbing things, actually, is that it is only Donald Trump who is being targeted. No other former president has ever been subjected to this degrading, humiliating public invasion of his private home or incessant attacks upon him, his families, and his supporters. The contrast between the treatment that Trump is getting at the hands of the swamp creatures and that of other past presidents is stunning. As I said last week, you have only to look at Barack Obama, the self-proclaimed hero who said he would fundamentally transform America. When the FBI descended on Mar-a-Lago, they took only 15 boxes, or about 700 pages of documents. But when Obama left the White House, he took 30 million pages of documents with him. Think of that, 30 million pages. How many boxes was that? And no one invaded his house. There wasn't a peep from the FBI, and no one showed up at his house in a pre-dawn raid with guns drawn. And what about Hillary Clinton? She wasn't president, thank goodness. But when she was Secretary of State, she had thousands of government files, including many classified documents, on her private, unsecured cell phone and on a private, unsecured computer in her private home in Chappaqua, New York. And she deleted thousands of emails when she assured everyone that they were only about her daughter's wedding plans. Right. In case anyone is missing it, the Democrats have no trouble lying about what they have done or breaking the rules that they expect everyone else to keep. The attack on Mar-a-Lago is, as I've said before, not the beginning and surely not the end of the attacks on Donald Trump. The Democrats seem to have an insatiable appetite for trying to destroy the former president in any way they can, regardless of how far they have to stretch the truth or fabricate their lies. Democrat Tulsi Gabbard came out with a statement that we should all listen to. She said, quote, the greatest threat to our democracy is not Trump voters or parents protesting at school board meetings 
But the permanent Washington elite, which has weaponized the government and teamed up with corporate media to intimidate and silence those who would dare to disagree with them, unquote. It is an omen of bad things to come if America can't get its act together and return to the values that made this country great. Crooked politicians and super wealthy oligarchs will always try to bend the truth to favor them, and they will always think that they know better than we do how to run our lives. But we don't need another third world country on this globe, ruled by wealthy tyrants. And as our founding fathers intended, it is up to us to make sure that our country does not fall to them. And by the way, have you noticed that the same people who want to tell us what to do and how to live are some of the wealthiest people in the world? And they're the ones who are telling us that we have to eat less, we have to earn less, and burn less carbon, while they jet around the world burning enormous amounts of carbon because they can, and they somehow feel they can justify it because they're doing good. How does that work exactly? We're supposed to watch our carbon footprints, and there is a long list of things we're not supposed to do, like we're not supposed to eat so many hamburgers and steak and so forth. Did you know that farmers in the Netherlands are now being threatened by their government with the possibility of having to cut back their herds of cows by 95% in order to meet the new climate actions? That's 95% of their entire livelihood of milk and beef. And you have to hear this because it's really unbelievable. The government has told them they need to dial back the emissions of nitrogen oxide and ammonia in order to save protected habitats for endangered animals and plants across the 27 nation European Union. In other words, the farmers face the possibility of having to kill their livestock and shut down their farms in order to protect what? Other plants and animals. I wonder if the people who have devised these draconian rules, I wonder if they have considered what this drastic reduction in cattle will do to their food supply. And what they will do when the endangered species and wildlife are thriving while the human population is starving. To say that the governments of so-called intelligent people are creating conditions that will ultimately cause famine and disease among the people they are supposed to be representing, that makes no sense at all. And if the people do not rise up against this insanity... Civilization as we know it will be gone before we know it. Here in the U.S., we have to be smarter. You see, it's not the oligarchs who will suffer because they will always have the wherewithal to survive. It's the rest of us who don't have the private jets and the multi-million dollar mansions who will pay the price. Our founding fathers understood this they did not all agree on how to solve the problems, but they had a pretty good idea about which way to go. And they counted on us to be able to figure it out. And we'd better do it, and fast, because the power of the oligarchs is growing 
and it's growing at our expense and at the expense of freedom. Now, the president has recently come out with a whole new plan for forgiving student debt. He unleashed a plan that will forgive a whole lot of student debt. And it's important because it doesn't just affect the students who had loans that they have not managed to pay back yet, but it affects all of us. And we need to pay attention to what is happening arbitrarily and with a stroke of a pen by this new edict by King Biden. And what he did not tell us is that these loans are not really going unpaid. It's just that the rest of us are going to pay them to the tune of $240 billion over the next 10 years. People are furious about this, and I don't think we've heard the end of it. Far from it. So stay tuned. Now we're going to take a short break. Right after the break, we're going to welcome back an old friend, Zach Nunn who is running for Congress and who just came back from the southern border and he's going to tell us all about it. We'll come back and talk about that. I'm Alana Friedman sitting in for Malcolm Out Loud and you're listening to the Voice of a Nation on the America Out Loud Network. Our global experts are brilliant writers and engaging hosts on a mission of a lifetime. You'll find the latest news and inspiration on the front page of AmericaOutloud.com. You already know Genesis plus HOCL is your best defense against viruses. But did you also know it's the most powerful weapon for eliminating airborne mold too? Customers are raving about the Genesis Fogger's ability to tackle mold problems and the bad smells that go with them. And we all know mold is a hazard to your health. There's no airborne invader that Genesis can't handle. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash outloud to receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything. All right, you've all heard Malcolm and the great Dr. Peter McCullough talk about the povidone iodine-based nasal spray Cofix RX. They talk about it because it's a product that actually works in combating colds, flus, and coronaviruses. Cofix is made in the USA and recommended by thousands of doctors and pharmacists nationwide. It's simple. By attacking viruses where they incubate, you make it easier for your body to heal. Check out the Cofix RX banner ad on AmericaOutloud.com and save 20% by using promo code OUTLOUD. Is a record player the best way to listen to music? Of course not. So why are you still taking vitamins that haven't been upgraded since the 1930s? Even if your vitamins aren't hard to swallow, it's time to upgrade to Healthy Cells pill-free, patent-pending microgel supplements that work at the cellular level to boost immune health, sleep better, focus deeper, and stay younger longer. They taste great, convenient on the go, and they're more natural too, without chemical binders, fillers, and coatings. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of any product. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Welcome 
back to the Voice of a Nation. I'm Alana Friedman, your guest host today, sitting in for Malcolm Out Loud. And on this segment, I am pleased to welcome back Republican candidate for the 3rd Congressional District in Iowa, Zach Nunn. This race is one of the most important congressional races this year in the midterm elections because Zach is running against a two-term incumbent, Sidney Axney, who has become a close ally of Nancy Pelosi, who votes with the Speaker 100% of the time, even though she is bragging about working across the aisle. She never does. So this is a race to watch, and Zach is a candidate you need to know about. He is a veteran Air Force combat pilot and a senator in the Iowa legislature. Since he began his campaign, Zach has racked up a long list of endorsements, including, at the very top of the list, former President of the United States Donald Trump, who has called Zach a conservative warrior. Unlike the Democrats, Zach did visit our southern border in order to see for himself the situation that is changing the face of America. And that's what we're going to talk about. Zach, welcome to the Voice of a Nation. Alana, thank you so much. Both you and Malcolm appreciate the advice, wisdom, and knowledge you share with just a uh, nationwide uh, base of individuals committed to making this country better. So thank you so much. It's good to have you on the show, Zach, and I think we're going to have a very interesting conversation today. Tell us, Zach, where you went and what you saw on your visit to the border. So, Lana, we just returned from the southern border in both Texas and Mexico. This is the area where they have seen a huge influx in illegal migration happening just over the course of the last 20 months, and that aligns directly with President Biden taking the helm here and basically putting up a billboard that America will take anybody across the border and do very little to push back or deter. I met with border patrol agents. I met with local sheriffs. But I also met with educators and farmers and local business people who are all impacted with this. And what really struck me, Alana, was that every county in my state of Iowa, every state in the union, is now becoming a border state. Because when individuals flock over the U.S. border, two million and growing just this year alone, they end up coming to every one of our communities. And I will say this, you know, we know there are people who are in desperate need for a better life. And we know there are employers on the U.S. side who are in desperate need for good employees. But this administration has done nothing to improve the immigration process. And I would say this, after seeing what I did at the border with the amount of criminal activity, human trafficking, drug trafficking, until we can get the southern border secure, we aren't able to protect our country. And that should be job number one for this administration. You know, it's interesting when you talk about the numbers, because according to the Customs and Border Patrol figures, nearly 5 million illegal migrants have crossed into the United States from Mexico since Biden became president. And that includes at least 900,000 getaways who were never processed by the Border Patrol. 
Alani, you're absolutely right. And here's the scary part. Uh, our Border Patrol agents are stretched to the max. We spoke with them. Most of them are now spending more than 60% of their time just doing in-processing documentation. That's a fancy way of saying they're doing paperwork when they should be supported manning the border. And we went to another area in uh, Texas where the Trump wall ceased to be built and became a funnel point for illegal migration. Talk to the farmer whose land it was on. You see the Trump wall going all the way up to his creek. And then you see 400 follow-on miles of open border. And he said he was getting hundreds of migrants coming through his property every single night. They were trafficking women and children. They were using them as shields when they were detained. They were going to local high schools and paying local high school students to be the smugglers who would drive them north in the back of vans because when the police arrest teenagers, prosecutors don't prosecute them. So they have figured out the way to manipulate the U.S. system better than our own government has been able to find a way to deter them. And Alana, I will say this, what was most frightening, we met with a local sheriff who in his small county jail of a county of 5,000 people, he had over 100 and almost 50 migrants in his county jail that he was holding that the federal government had yet to take on or prosecute. And so he had had some of them there for over a year being paid for by local taxpayers. And let me be very specific. What they were there for was not coming across the border. These were all individuals with felony crimes who were not allowed to be released into the community. A lot of them had drug possession charges. A lot of them were traffickers. And as you know, in this last year alone, 10,000 pounds of fentanyl have been brought into this country. And in my hometown of Des Moines, Iowa, one backpack for two pounds of fentanyl would kill every man, woman, and child in that in our town. So that's how dangerous this has become and how the Biden administration has become decapitated from reality in that we have multiple illegal activity coming on our own southern border that they have failed to address as a humanitarian crisis and a national security concern. You know, it may be that some of our listeners don't realize that people are living right up against the border, ranchers, farmers, and these are people who are directly affected by this incursion. It must be a nightmare for them. Exactly, Alana. We spoke with a farmer who'd been farming there for generations, and he had illegals crossing through his land on a nightly basis. He's watching them with deer cam. He alerts CBP, and if it looks like a hostile group or people carrying weapons, they'll respond. But usually they say, hey, we're undermanned. We will try and track these individuals down. But the irony was, on his farm, he cannot get someone to drive a tractor. So this farmer is paying good money to have individuals come and help him cultivate his land in southern Texas. But because the unemployment rate is so low, he's not able to find anyone to be able to help him. Meanwhile, literally the county sheriff has hundreds of individuals living off of taxpayer dollars who have no pathway to become citizens, including people who realistically we want to welcome to America. Ones who have tried to do it the right way, have waited for five, six, in some cases, 10 years and finally gave up under the Biden administration and just said, well, heck, I'm going to go do it myself. This is not the situation we want where we have hobbled our immigration 
uh, onboarding so badly that good people are forced to make bad choices. Equally, uh, we talked to some educators who find themselves, you know, teaching high school and migrants will come across the border directly into the school to try and get away from CBP, uh, Customs and Border Patrol. There's cartels on the American side that are using uh, these communities as basically grooming grounds to recruit people to become smugglers. And there is a criminal element that stems way back to Central America that has control over a lot of these small town communities and almost holds over them like a cartel, how they can do business, how they'll respond and intimidates people if they try and go contact law enforcement. So we have a a nefarious element outside of the country that is keeping American communities hostage. Are you aware, Zach, of how this migration of illegal migrants is affecting your home state, which is not on the border, which is in the middle of the country? Yeah. So here in Iowa, I mean, this past summer, we had 51 migrants die on Interstate 35 headed north to my home state. They were left in the back of a tractor trailer and perish from heat exhaustion. Whoever was hauling them clearly didn't care about them. You know, I've been a state senator now for four years. We led the first effort to have a human trafficking operations center embedded with our state police so that we could track these individuals real time, inform law enforcement officers and our community to try and save these individuals, but also to deter smugglers. Overwhelmingly, the smugglers are not happening just in Dallas or Houston or Kansas City or Chicago, they're picking mid-sized and even small towns in which they set up their stable for human trafficking and as stash houses for migrants to work in forced labor or to sell drugs out of. So we have a big agricultural community here, but we also have a seen a spike in the amount of sex trafficking, of minors being exploited through human trafficking, and a huge uptick and the amount of fentanyl that has made it into the drug stream in places as remote as Iowa that are killing kids and people who are not even realizing that they're ingesting fentanyl into their system, but it's being left as residue on other materials. As a congressman, Zach, what do you think you would be able to do to help to remedy some of these terrible problems? So there's been a lot of talk in both Republican and Democrat administrations in the past, but very little action. I can tell you this, you know, as a military member, I am very focused on results-driven missions. And for that, we have teamed up with leaders like Congressman Tony Gonzalez, whose congressional district goes from El Paso to San Antonio. He's on the front line to guys like me, whose community is impacted by what makes it past the front line. Look, Here's what we need to do. First and foremost, secure the southern border. Make that a deterrent so that people are not overwhelming our CBP. Second, let's have a good pathway for citizens to come to the United States and become Americans who are taxpayers, workers, and will do a lot of jobs that we don't have Americans able to do. My home state of Iowa, we haven't had a population increase in over 100 years. We need good workers who have been vetted, who are willing to work, and want to come here and do good jobs for fair pay. And with that, the third piece is making sure that we are using our technology in a way that helps us, not hurts us. And here's what I mean by that. We've allowed immigrants to come here illegally for far too long. They're overwhelming our cities, 
our social safety nets, our schools, and our communities. And they're not tracked, and they're put in a worse situation for it. With technology, we can help and process these individuals, make sure that they are not criminal, and then track them as they're here to make sure that they're doing what they're supposed to do as they go through a vetted process to become American citizens like everybody else. So this is a good win-win, and I think it largely can be a bipartisan success story that we can get on the president's desk and make him sign. Do you think the Democrats will go along with that? Everything that we've seen from them has been just the opposite, that your opponent in this race had said that she thought that Biden was doing a real good job and that they were, they were on the road to success. I'm not sure that I see that or how, how that becomes a reality in her eyes. What kind of bipartisan cooperation do you see as being possible? Well, I think first we need to get rid of individuals like Cindy Axney who are lockstep in line with Nancy Pelosi's idea of an America that only benefits the left. They passed far too many bills that were partisan to begin with. They have hurt the American people and my community here by not being willing to reach across the aisle. It sends a strong message to whoever's in the White House. When they lose elections, they need to change the way they do business. And I am proud to say that with a Republican majority, we're speaking not just for conservatives. We can speak for all Americans when it comes to offering real solutions to securing the southern border. And I can't imagine any president who can reject it, particularly if we control Congress and the purse strings, we'll be putting more money towards Customs and Border Patrol than putting any money towards new IRS agents that this administration feels is the priority. Yeah, there has to be a counterbalance to the far-left programs and, and policies that have really damaged America. Alana, I fully agree. And so there's two things. First off, you know, we learned about the success of the southern border because we went and we visited it, and that was a priority. I learned the same when I went to Israel, and I saw how Israel effectively secured its people by being able to take a proactive defensive action for its state. These are two places my opponent, Cindy Axney, has never been, never supported, and buries her head in the sand. That's wrong. So what I would ask for you, for your listeners, is, Check us out. Our website zachnun.com. It's Z-A-C-H-N-U-N-N.com. Let us know what you think, but then look at our record of success we've had here in Iowa, working across the aisle while remaining true to our principles, and then holding Democrats accountable when they come out here and say one thing, but then never do anything uh, to the effect that actually is good policy. I think we've got a strong record here, and we're proud to take what works in Iowa to Washington, D.C., I want to tell our listeners here that Zach is running a wonderful campaign that is positive. He is running on the issues. He is not running a negative campaign against his opponent, although she's giving him plenty of material. And it's a campaign that we all can be proud of. Well, I'm humbled by that. We're going to fight hard for Iowa, and you're absolutely right. You know, we won an overwhelming victory in our primary, and then Immediately, this race went from a what started off as a lean Democrat to now a lean Republican. And every time she tried to go up with negative attack ads, particularly here in the heartland, that doesn't do well for her. She's lost four points just after her last attack ad. I'm happy to let her continue to spend millions of dollars in attacks that not only fall flat, but put her in the red. That being said, we've got a long road ahead of us. Everyone who is interested in a success story this midterm election needs to be supporting their local candidate, their candidates up and down the ballot, 
and then finding those key races like ours, they're essential to be able to win back a majority in Congress. If we can't beat this incumbent, Zach Nunn, over Cindy Axney on November 8th, we don't have a majority. We don't hold the Biden administration accountable. And worst of all, we have Nancy Pelosi as speaker for two more years. Good heavens. Zach, it's always a pleasure to have you on this show. I really appreciate everything you're doing in your campaign. It's making national news, and that's a good thing. Because the country needs people like you in Washington. People with integrity and people who who know they have a job to do and are ready to roll up their sleeves and do it properly. Thank you so much, Zach, for taking the time out of your busy campaign schedule. I know it's got to be very hectic for you, but I appreciate the time that you've taken to be with me on this show on The Voice of a Nation, and I wish you great success between now and November, and particularly on November 8th. Alana, always an honor. Thank you to you and your listeners. This takes a team, and you guys are on the front line of making this a success. So a salute to you. And uh, yeah, check us out, ZachNunn.com, or find us on Facebook at ZachNunn for Congress. Have a great day. And you as well, Zach. Well, my friends, it's time for another break. But when we come back, I want to talk about another area of great concern that we can do something about. Just like Zach was talking about solutions for the border crisis, I want to talk about solutions for the crisis in our schools, the violence. And I do have solutions, and they have nothing to do with gun control. So don't go away. I'm Alana Friedman sitting in for Malcolm Out Loud, and you're listening to The Voice of a Nation. My fellow Americans, this is Malcolm Out Loud. You know, a few years back, I was in corporate boardrooms offering counsel to business executives worldwide. It was important and demanding work, but out of the corner of my eye, maybe like you, I was watching some dangerous trends in our nation. Marxist teachers and professors brainwashing our children. A media that was not just biased, but complicit and overly partisan, an offshoot of the Democrat Party even and the progressive culture that was shutting down even violently any voices that challenge these radical ideas and tactics. Well, AmericaOutloud.com was born at that very moment. Well, it was a challenge I could no longer ignore, and I joined forces with some of the nation's most influential voices to bring you the real news and discussions that Americans need to hear at this crucial crossroads in American history. It is a fight for the soul of humanity. America Out Loud Talk Radio is the voice of liberty and justice for all. Hello, I'm Ben Marble, MD, and I founded MyFreeDoctor.com as a donation-supported, faith-based nonprofit with a mission to save lives by delivering free doctor visits to patients in all 50 states of America. MyFreeDoctor.com treats a broad range of health concerns like COVID-19, long COVID, sinus infections, urinary tract infections, rashes, medication refills, and more. So please visit MyFreeDoctor.com where we're healing America one person at a time. Oral hygiene hasn't changed in 50 years, but our diet and the way we eat has. 
creating an environment in your mouth for bacteria to wreak havoc on your teeth and gums. For better oral health, get Spry Dental Defense, an oral care line designed to combat acid-creating bacteria. The toothpaste, mouthwash, mints, and gum all contain xylitol, a natural ingredient shown to dramatically improve oral health. Spry can be found online and at all fine natural retailers. Welcome back to The Voice of a Nation. I'm your guest host today, Ilana Friedman, sitting in for Malcolm Out Loud. Just recently, President Biden decided that it was time to fulfill another incredibly tone-deaf campaign promise that would help a favored class of people and hurt the rest of us. He decided to forgive up to $10,000 in student loan program for a certain class of student and up to $20,000 for another class of students. Joe Biden canceled student loans, placing the debt instead on hardworking Americans like you, my friends, and just before the midterms in hopes to gain some blue votes. There are several things wrong with that. For one thing, it's a terrible lesson to teach young people just starting out that it's okay to take on an obligation and then hope that someone else will bail you out so you don't have to do what you promised and pay it back. Let someone else do it. In this case, it's going to be you or me. But I didn't take that loan. I didn't benefit from the college education that some student I don't know got. Why should I be the one who pays it back? And here's another thing. These students graduated from college Presumably, they got jobs, and now they're earning a reasonable salary, maybe even a good salary. And in addition to all that, during COVID, they got a reprieve, a vacation from paying off their loan. What else do they want? Why do I have to pay off their loan for them, or you? And it gets better, because if they went to college on a Pell Grant, they'll get $20,000 in loan relief. And if they didn't get a Pell Grant, well, they only get $10,000 in relief. Only. Only. Poor things. But get this. This is only good if they're earning less than $125,000 a year. Are you kidding me? If they're earning $125,000 a year, they can pay back their own loans. They don't need you or me to do that for them. That is disgusting. What about the teacher who paid off her loan and now has to pay back theirs, even though they earn so much money and she only earns $50,000 a year or sixty? Why should she be paying off their loan? Well, you get my drift. And just in case you're not angry enough, here's another little fact. Over the next 10 years, this little gift from Joe Biden will cost the taxpayers, that's us, $240 billion. There is so much that gets me angry these days, and this just seems wrong. Now, it's not over because it seems as though when Joe Biden signed this loan forgiveness, he did it as an executive order, and it's not clear that that's legal. It's not clear that he has the authority to do that. So we'll have to wait and see because... It's very possible that someone is going to come along with a great big lawsuit 
and stop this before it gets too far along. Well, we can't do much about that right now, but let's talk about something we can do something about. And I'm talking about school safety, school security, the crisis in our schools that has developed because of attacks that have happened in Colorado, in Florida, in Connecticut, in Texas, that have taken the lives of our children. And in all the time that has passed since these things happened, the only thing we ever hear about is gun control, gun control, take the guns away, and so forth. And that's really beside the point. I'll get to that in a minute. But I want to talk to you about a solution to this problem, which never seems to go away and never seems to get fixed. On August 24th, the Uvalde School District Board voted to terminate school's police chief, Pete Arandondo. This should have happened a long time ago. It is because Chief Arandondo refused to allow his officers to engage the shooter and waited for more than an hour standing outside the room as school videos show before they finally went in to neutralize the shooter. He did this in spite of the fact that we have learned so many lessons, first from the Columbine shooting, when police officers waited for three hours before entering the school and they left students dead and a teacher who bled to death in a hallway because they refused to go in. And by waiting, they enabled the shooters to kill many more people inside the school. Well, what we learned from that, of course, was not to wait, but to enter the school immediately in order to keep casualties to a minimum. And Chief Arredondo did that in spite of the fact that his team had recently gone through an active shooter training program. So he should have known better. But in Uvalde that day, the police even stopped parents who wanted to go in and save their children. In videos that were released afterwards, anxious parents can be seen literally collapsing into each other's arms, wailing as officers refused to allow them to enter the building themselves. And while the police dithered for nearly an hour, the gunman had barricaded himself in a classroom where he murdered 19 children and two teachers. Those of us who have studied the long and terrible history of attacks on children in school this was a textbook version of everything that was done wrong. We had plenty of prior experience with school shootings to know that the very worst thing you can do is wait. So on August 22nd, the Spirit Lake School Board in Iowa decided to take matters into their own hands. It announced that it had approved a plan to allow each of 10 staff members to carry a firearm in school. Well, this is a very good first step, but it's only a first step because anyone carrying a firearm in school has to be specially trained. Firing a gun in the course of a school shooting is nothing like firing a gun at a shooting range. There's a great difference between aiming your gun at a target at your own speed when you know you're safe and facing a gunman and making the split-second decision to fire your gun at him and kill him. We have only to look at what happened at the Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas, to know that just having guns on hand isn't enough. There were police on hand, and they had guns, but they refused to engage the gunman. 
and they refused to allow anyone else to engage him. So they stood by waiting while 19 people, including 17 children, died needlessly. What is no less important as having weapons on hand is having the training that goes with them, knowing what to do if the school is attacked, knowing how to protect the children, knowing what protocols to follow without thinking, and saving lives. Not everyone holding a gun is actually prepared to use it when faced with a deadly threat. This also takes training and being prepared to pull that trigger. When Nicholas Cruz attacked the Marjorie Stoneham Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida in 2018, he murdered 17 people. Senator Marco Rubio suggested that it was probably unavoidable. He said, quote, if someone's decided I'm going to commit this crime, they'll find a way to get the gun to do it, unquote. Well, maybe he will get the gun. But in the real world, the one that we live in and raise our children in, he could have been prevented from getting into that school to hurt anyone. Here's the thought. When I lived in Israel, school security was a big issue. The threat of terrorism is a reality that Israelis live with every day. And the lives of Israeli children are precious, just as our children are precious to us. Israel also saw its share of terrorist attacks against children in school. But Israel has had only three attacks in schools in 44 years. The first and most notorious was in 1974, when Arab terrorists took over the Nativ Meir Elementary School in the town of Ma'alot in northern Israel, and the siege lasted for two days. The massacre began when those terrorists took 115 teachers and teenage students hostage, and before it was over, they had murdered 22 students in cold blood and left many others injured. But since then, Israel was simply not ready to accept the fact that stuff happens and they did something about it. Make no mistake about it. Anyone who enters a school with the intent to kill people is a terrorist and needs to be dealt with the way a terrorist would be dealt with, quickly and finally. But as I said, just having a gun is not enough. So here's how Israelis make sure their children are safe when they go to school. And if you're tired of worrying about your children being victims in the face of a school shooting, then listen up. Israel requires schools with a hundred and more students to have a security guard posted at the entrance to the school. And there is only one entrance. But before there were professional guards at every school in Israel, there were parents armed standing at the door of every school and staying there until school let out. I know because I was one of them, standing guard at the door of the school where my son was a student. Now, there is only one accessible door through which people can enter and leave the school. This is true of every school. And if you don't belong in the school, you don't get to come in. These guards, they don't just hang around. They're there to watch every person who enters. Israelis learned a long time that it is much less effective to look for the bomb or the gun than to look at the person. And Israelis have gotten very good at reading people, people who have mischief on their minds. We could learn a thing or two from them in our airports so that little old ladies and small children don't have to suffer the indignity of a body search when they are clearly not a threat. But I digress. 
because there's one thing more that I want to talk about, and it's something that we don't give much credence to. The kids themselves can be their own best defense if they're taught not to be victims. In Israel, they're taught how to use anything at hand, books, chairs, desks, anything, and as a group to attack the attacker. In all honesty, what have they got to lose? If they stand there like victims, they're likely to be killed anyway. And by fighting back, they can save their lives and the lives of their friends and teachers, and it works. Then there is the physical security that supports the human security. Israeli schools are surrounded by security fencing that creates an enclosure around the school that is defensible. And in recent years, security cameras have also been added. So that's what they do in Israel, and in an environment where terrorism is much more of an everyday threat than it is here, the fact is that what they are doing there works. The answer to ensuring the safety of our children is not gun control. Chicago, for example, has some of the tightest gun laws in the country, and it also ended the 2021 year with more homicides than any other city in the United States. No. What is needed are not more gun restrictions, but a smarter approach to security. In the years following 9-11, people who practiced in the counterterrorism field made an effort to help prevent such attacks in the future and mitigate the damage if one should occur. We looked at school buildings to assess their vulnerabilities, and we looked at the processes that could save lives. But too many school districts lost interest in security because the price in dollars was too high or because it was just too much trouble. Every school building is different. Every school is different. Different cultures, different protocols that can either help or hinder a safe resolution to a school attack. But every school is capable of having strict security protocols and physical barriers against intrusion without breaking the bank, and every school should be able to take certain measures to provide better security for the children entrusted to its care. There isn't time on this program to go into all the things that can and should be done, but every school in the country should be paying attention to the fact that our schools, whether we like it or not, are vulnerable and our children are the targets. Now, there are two more stories that I would like to mention briefly. They're short. In fact, the first one is very short. It turns out that Dr. Anthony Fauci, who has been the bane of our existence for the last two and a half years, is going to retire. And it isn't necessarily, as far as we can tell, because he is tired and wants to go home and relax, live throughout the rest of his years in uh, comfort and peace. But it may be because he is in disgrace, because all of the policies that he said were required, the masks and the vaccines and the lockdowns and all the things that were mandated that we had to do because he said it was scientifically required, were simply wrong. He lied. So I would say I'm happy to see him go, and I expect a lot of you are as well. So goodbye, Dr. Fauci and good riddance. Here's another story. It's a short one, but it struck my funny bone. And it comes from one of the funniest places in the country, California. 
As you have undoubtedly heard, California has just announced that as of 2035, it will be illegal for anyone in California to buy or sell a conventional vehicle with an internal combustion engine, one that uses diesel or gasoline for fuel. Instead, all new cars must be electric vehicles. Okay, so far so good, maybe. But the very next day, almost in the same breath, when a very strong heat wave was expected, and the temperatures were supposed to rise to something near 100 degrees, Californians were advised to please conserve electricity and not to charge their electric cars. That's right, you heard that correctly. They were advised not to charge their electric cars. It's okay, in fact, it's encouraged to buy them, but you can't charge them. So the obvious question is this, if the electric infrastructure of California isn't sufficient to support the few electric vehicles in California today, how in the world will it be able to support the powering of all the electric cars that its population of 37 million people will require 12 years down the road? Now, I don't know about you, but this made me burst out laughing. It is so absurd. An entire new industry is depending on an infrastructure that doesn't exist. They're building an end product that is dependent on electric power without an infrastructure to support it. And by the way, where does the fuel come from to power the power stations that provide the electricity for the charging stations? That's right. It comes from power stations that are fired by oil and coal. That's the stuff our government has been trying to get rid of. You just can't make this stuff up. Well, our time is up, my friends. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm Alana Friedman, sitting in for Malcolm Out Loud, and you've been listening to The Voice of a Nation on the America Out Loud Network.